Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Inexpert Opinions. Today, Mike and I sat down with Paul Rudolph, a friend of mine. Paul is an entrepreneur. He has launched several several successful businesses over the years. I know him from uh, Arizona, Phoenix, Arizona, through a couple good buddies down there. Uh, most recently, he's been in Cincinnati working with local businesses. In 2020, he had a goal of launching 20 businesses prior to COVID, uh, kind of curtailing that a little bit before he was able to get a few off the ground. Um, super fascinating, super fascinating conversation. I learned a ton about Paul that I uh, that I didn't know, and I've known him for about 15 years. The guy is an onion. You peel back layer after layer after layer and keep digging and finding new things. So hope you guys enjoy this as much as I did, and I know Mike did as well. And uh, yeah, here we go. Paul Rudolph, ladies and gentlemen. Shut up and sit down. Hey, Siri, what is an expert? As a noun, it means a person who has a comprehensive and authoritative knowledge of or skill in a particular area. <laughs> okay, that's clearly not us. But we're not idiots either. Mm. Arguable. <laughs> okay, fair. How about not complete idiots? We're a couple of guys who have been friends for 25 years who happen to disagree on a lot of things. This is our podcast, where we try to make sense of those things and try to understand the other's perspective. These are our inexpert opinions. Shut up and sit down. Who wants to, you want to clap or you want me to clap? Go ahead. I know it's your favorite <laughs> thing to do. <laughs> That's my favorite thing to do. It's, it's like the, what are they? I don't even know what they call those set, those set clappers. It's the I'm, Rob marker. Rob used to like that was Rob's job. <clears throat> I would go around clap the zebra-looking board. Is that what it's yes. called, a marker? I feel like it's got to be something like that. The sound marker, the sound clapper, the take, take clapper, take, take marker, take marker. Because it's always on a take, right? Take, take five. It's probably just called the marker. It's called a clapper it's, board. A clapper board. Yep. I thought I had clapper in the title. I just gave it a it sounds like clap. And that's why that's why I clap. All right. That's my third clap. I'm not clapping anymore this episode. Who do you think's clapped more claps at motion pictures? Like, is that a guy that like that's his claim to fame when he's at the Hollywood bars that like I've clapped at 1000 times on set? <laughs> I would be willing to bet there is someone in Hollywood that you are looking to hire as your clapper on set. Like, I, well, I think it's right, the, do we it's, have, do we have budgies for Mike, the Mike, the clapper, or do we have to go with Jessica, the clapper? Isn't like, it the director of photography that does it so they can actually like keep all of the, like, like the different scenes and everything in order. Cause there's all the numbers and everything on there. I think it's a way to keep like all of the takes in order. Isn't it? Jeff, you know, this exactly shit. You to school for. for this. That's yeah, that's exactly what it's for. But is it the director of photography that's doing it? Well, I think his assistant. I don't think, I mean, the director of photography is the guy behind the camera. Well, right. So Mike the Clapper or Jessica the Clapper. I'm thinking about Mike like the OG. Like there's the guy that just comes in his own threads and he's got his own professional clapper. <laughs> he brings his own clapper board. <laughs> <laughs> it's a clapper board from like 1942. One of the first. He still clappers. needs to use chalk to write out the stuff instead of the digital one. <laughs> it's like, yeah, don't sell him short. He knows what he's doing, though. He's been doing it a long time. Like an old barbecue is soot. It's just got the old chuck. In it. Right. I love it. 
<laughs> there is, I hope there is somebody like that. If there's not, I wonder, we should, Jamie, Craigslist, Google. I wonder if there are Craigslist ads for Clapperboard. Be careful <laughs> what you search. Especially when utilizing that <clears throat> that terminology. That's probably Those keywords. Very, very astute. Uh, that's yeah. It's, it's also referred to as a film slate. Apparently, clapperboard or film slate. Mm-hmm. More professional. Yeah. How far down the film slate clapperboard can we go? I say we abandon Renate right now. You want to abandon ship? <laughs> and I, I say maybe we introduce Paul. <clears throat> Ooh, there's a third voice here on the uh, on the podcast this morning, ladies and gentlemen, Mister Paul. Rudolph, we'll get into a full-on introduction uh, right now. No, Paul Rudolph, <laughs> uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. What are you? What are you? What are you doing? What are you up to? I'm up to always too many things and trying to manage time. Um, I help people create businesses and have been doing that myself for over a decade. Um, I the more and more I get into helping create businesses, like what does that mean? What kind of businesses? It gets Shit. to be smaller and smaller companies. And if you were to say I am anything by background, it is an Excel nerd. Love me some spreadsheets. God <laughs> bless it. The other side of the world. And, but in doing so, have worked private equity to small mom and pops to healthcare coalitions, nonprofits have really recorded how to create business models of all different sizes and varieties. And, you know, when it comes down mm-hmm. to it, the biggest thing we have to manage is people. And that's really about managing time. And so right now I'm working on software to help people with that, but also just working one-on-one got a nonprofit board meeting this afternoon, getting into it. So real quick about Excel, the, probably the least exciting thing that you said, the, do you have a preference? Do you still rock Excel or are you on Google sheets now? And can they do the exact same thing? They, I'm a naturalist. Like I, I still operate in Excel, everything I do. Um, everything now is just a glorified spreadsheet. And I'm talking about most SaaS applications okay. on Google sheets. I, I never made the conversion because you know, when it comes down to collaboration is the upside to Google sheets. Uh-huh. And perhaps in that one realm of my life, I do not like to collaborate. Makes Stay sense. out of my sheets. Yeah. I've got a buddy who's, who was, uh, um, for the longest time worked in as like a corporate accountant, accountant, corporate CPA. And he actually, he was with ING for, no, was it ING? No. What was, uh, that company that like, they were the first ones to do like those, like savings accounts that were, they became Vio or Veo or something they like had that. had an orange brand. Yes. Color. I yes. Remember them, I used them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, he worked I-N-G. for them. ING. It was ING. And then they got, and then they rebranded to, cause they, that was a Swedish company, I think. And then they, they now have a, whatever their Voya. Voya is the name of the company now. Anyway, really boring story. And then I found $20. Um, anyway, the, the reason that he actually got promoted within that company is because he created <clears throat> this spreadsheet like, and you know more about this, but like, it was these, I guess, collection of spreadsheets that talk to each other and could automate like year end tax processes faster than anybody else ever done it. So he, because he created it, it was kind of like intellectual property of his people would actually hire him at different companies just so they would, he could bring along these spreadsheets that he's created to like streamline their work. It was fascinating. 
also impressive the world of like, yeah, when I got into KPMG in New York, I watched all of these young auditors reproducing um, straight line rents in like over and over. And so within the first year, I'm like, Hey, let's just program this. Didn't know how, but mm-hmm. you know, could still plenty of resources on the web, figured it out, got it one year promotion early, like, because I was resourceful for that company and saved them a ton of time. And like, that's what got me into the spreadsheet nerdum, which led to some fantasy football development. Ooh, there's that's, that's the route. Like I was supposed to be recruiting go big back in the day <clears throat> and just, they're like, dude, you can't sell anything. Why don't you just manage our spreadsheets? Because yeah. You're good at that. Huh? Interesting. So would you say then, Oh, I think we lost Jeff. There he is. He's back. So <clears throat> would you say I'm infuriated right now? Why are you recording? Do we start? I over? haven't been, I haven't been able to because it keeps telling me to ask the host to record. And I'm like, who the fuck is the fucking host zoom other than <laughs> fucking me? Well, it's recording. The zoom's recording. Now it is because I fucking logged back in for some reason, and now I'm the host. So okay. I don't know. Apparently, I'm, oh, I I hate Zoom. That's so right. We can all the audio on Zoom. No, no I, just just you yeah. because you're the third the third wheel, and I don't. You probably know how to do this, Paul. I don't. Anyway, we'll cut this out. My apologies. I feel like I was just one of the most inappropriate and unexcusable. We'll just cut it out. Right we actually we, we so had a pause right like before I this. It's like I just threw a fucking drink in Paul's face or something. Right. I don't know. Just All right. So I'm going to jump back in because I feel like we can cut this out because we paused right before you jump back in. So Paul, so would you say like what is the expertise specifically you're bringing? Is it like the finance side? Is it like like in your in your opinion, what is the expertise that you bring to the table in these things? Great question. Um, it's, it's a balance of a lot of experience to understanding the resources that can go into creating a business. And so when I look at a business, any business for that matter, it's about solving a problem, a problem for the customer. And whether it's solved through a for-profit company or a non-for-profit company, that's an IRS thing. Like that's just tax. Mm-hmm. But what it comes down to is you've got materials, you've got people, you've got technology, Get all these different assets. If you can combine them just right, you can create that solution that solves that problem for that customer. The hard part is what we run into now is there's so many options. It's overwhelming what's out there. And so what I work with a lot of people is um, we're actually solving the problem here locally of buying local flowers. You know, you want to buy someone some thank you flowers, or maybe there's an occasion that's going on going to your local florist, 1-800-Flowers, some of these other ones have dominated the SEO on the, on the Google. Mm-hmm. And so what do they do is it's like DoorDash. They get a local florist to fulfill the order. And then they take 30% of the profits, which leaves very little for that local enterprise. But now that they have to survive on that. So what we're trying to get in between that and keep it local and to do that, we're looking at what do we need? We need someone to do photography. We need someone to tell stories. We need to be on Instagram. So all those little pieces to go solve those problems, they all incorporate four different types of capital. It's money, time, self, and social. And it's all one big calculation to me. Okay. Very interesting. So when you work with these companies, do you do you actually have, I know this is a, probably a stupid question, but like, how much of the idea or like the business model is important to you? Like, is it you only work with companies that you believe have an idea that actually has some legs or will you go help a company that 
maybe that's not as important and you're just going to help structure the business to be more efficient and profitable. I found myself doing working with companies that are more impactful okay, and don't always lead to the most uh, financial prosperity. Mm-hmm. Um, like we're just now talking about getting into some of the, the Facebook ad and, and the Google, my business stuff. Some of the nitty gritty that local businesses need as a foundation mm-hmm. because they need as a foundation. Like that's why I'm approaching it. You know, the places where I'm spending my time are we're trying to figure out how to get sports uniforms on kids who don't have that in their school. So we want to instill confidence in them. Um, spent years running a healthcare coalition, figuring out how to put a full-time dental center inside of a public school. So you've, you've got this community of kids that have never been to the dentist before. I mean, we're talking about 12th graders, never been to the dentist before. And there's this place where they're all meeting. It's called the school. And Cincinnati is really neat and utilizing the school as a hub of the community. And at the time I was running a, um, the homeless dental center and some people came to me and said, can you put some, something in the schools for kids to get access? And what that came down to was me meeting with all stakeholders, community, you know, P and G, you know, think about the whole supply chain, right? Providers in the community and looking at all the different pieces, looking at other models across the nation and saying, okay, if we use this combination, let's call it three or four dental chairs, it gets us to the right financial sustainability that we can deploy this resource. And now we've got seven public schools in low socioeconomic neighborhoods have a full-time dentist for the kids. Wow. That's pretty cool, no man. No kidding. Wow. <laughs> no kidding. That is, that's super cool. That's yeah. super cool. I never, I didn't see that. And that's one of the things I was kind of alluding to in the, in, in the beginning, right? There is, there's a number of things, Paul, that I think you have done uh, with me or without me that I, ha- I don't have any idea about because you don't talk about them. You, you are, Paul is one of the most humble people that I've ever met. Paul doesn't talk about accolades, doesn't talk about these. Ex- like if I had put seven, if, if I put full-time, you know, dental offices into seven different schools in these, in these Low income We'd areas. Never hear the end of it. You would never hear the end of it. <laughs> Jeff would be giving himself his own alone. damn awards on a weekly. I would have basis. a podcast on that alone, just telling people <laughs> about about how that's incredible. That's Guys, incredible. Back with episode ten of why I'm a badass, <laughs> and <laughs> it's like Jeff, we fucking heard it. Shut the fuck up already. We are back with Pat. Jeff's back with your host Jeff. Uh, let me tell you, uh, let me tell you about myself this episode. So, so that's incredible. That's incredible. Seven yeah. schools. And, and do you like, this is inconsequential, I think, because the, the fact of the matter is you put it into the school, but what is the size of those schools? How many kids have you helped out over the years? Like if you're talking, are, are all of the grades going through, or are they K through 12? So it's, it's a mix of K through 12. First one was K through 12. Um, one of the poorest census tracks in the state of Ohio. Um, and they're all going to the dentist now for the most part. The hardest part is getting the parental consent. Um, I wish I could give you numbers, but the health department wouldn't give me the numbers because they were the actual operators. And therein lies the political conflict of one healthcare and number two, the nonprofit scene, which if we want to say dog eat dog world in the for-profit world, 
holy cow, try going to operate in the confines of there's only so many dollars to solve a problem and everybody's going to fight over it. And the backstabbing that goes on, like when I was running the homeless dental center, insane going after the HUD dollars, the side really? conversations and dealings people were doing. So I actually got out of it. Like, I know it's still going on. My wife, who's actually the, a lot of the brains behind that dental aspect, uh, she sits on the board and, and takes care of it. But like, for me, solved it. Here's the, here's the manual. Go here's do the it blueprint. Again. And they've replicated. Like I wasn't involved in all of those. Like I planted the seed for the first three or four uh -huh. and I bounced on, on to the next problem. Yeah. That's pretty gotcha, cool. Gotcha. That so, is super cool. So real quick to, to, you brought up the, 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 the capital piece. I would assume these are areas, the, the dentists working in these schools, et cetera, that are offering up their time or is there funding government grants and things behind it? It's, it was all based around the Medicaid reimbursement. Okay. So it, it's all part of the typical billing you'd see at a safety net clinic. Um, it was just a matter of, of doing a fundraising and reconfiguring how people approached giving services in school where before, and most of the time they're coming in for one day, they're bringing in a portable chair. It's typically sometimes a dentist, but not always. And it doesn't give the level of importance that we need to have with oral health and creating a dental home. And so we rethought about it. I mean, you guys from the UX UI world and like creating empathy for the customer and going through that process, we looked at human centered design and how can we change over generations the importance of oral health because we're working in a neighborhood where at age 27 being without teeth is a norm. Wow. And like, that's a whole mindset. Yeah. Wow. So, I mean, when, how do you, how do you find these opportunities? I mean, are these, I mean, it sounds like this one, you kind of created, you saw the need. So you created it like, like a solution, but are you having people come to you with these problems and then want you to help solve them? And if that is actually the case, how do people find you? Like, how do people know about that? Like you? Sure. Uh, so I wander, uh, you know, I, I wander into different conversations and I, I'm never um, bashful about stepping in and, and having my, my point of view, at least spoken, maybe not heard. Um, but usually it's on the side of like, what's the problem here, folks, and especially on what's the issue? What are you guys working on? Because if you look across any community, there are just great pockets of great people that are doing good things already that we just don't hear about because mm -hmm. they're so focused on doing those good things. And as I run across those people, then I say, Hey, is there any way I can help anything I can do? I'm not trying to interject myself <laughs> very often. I don't even do it for money. Like there, there's no big financial upside for me running a nonprofit. Um, but, or sometimes it's the case of, I ran into a theater instructor last year. This is during COVID. I've got three kids, eight, five, and two. They're having trouble going through the isolation that everybody felt. And we got talking about doing, I was like, can we shoot a movie on zoom and like do the whole production on zoom? Um, and then, which led to like, Hey, kids could use theater and Caitlin who focuses on social emotional learning her and I, she had never thought about a business. I never really thought about theater, but we complimented each other, came together and created a remote theater camp for kids that in the underlying psychology of it all focuses on that social emotional learning to get them past the isolation and insecurity that so many of them are feeling. 
started as a for-profit company last year. It's not going to make it as a for-profit. So we're actually this week filing for a nonprofit so we can get the whole tax designation and then going to look to scale it up into the school system. Wow. That's Good freaking God, cool. man. See, it's yeah. like, how, okay. Two questions that I think are closely intertwined. Mike asked the question of how do you, this is quickly turning into a casual conversation from a casual conversation into an interview, Paul, because it's fascinating. We'll get back to the clappers eventually. So Mike brings up, how do you find these opportunities? Um, how many, okay. One question is how many opportunities do you, how many things are you juggling at, at, at any given time? And then the piggyback of that is you're a wanderer. You walk around, you see this problem, you find this problem, you, you, you're online, you look at this problem, you're in the community, you look at this problem. How many entrepreneurs I generally have a list of things, at least the ones I know and the ones I've talked to have a list of like, okay, these are the things I want to tackle at some point in time, right? Um, sometimes it's an organized list, sometimes it's not. But what does that list look like for you? How many, how many ideas do you see in a in, a, in any given point in time that you pass on or, or or that you're just like that just that doesn't seem viable or whatever? My biggest problem is passing. Is okay. like because I always think that there's a way to figure it out. You, you just have to like maneuver and fragment and do different things and just like, how do we solve a problem? And I, I have a hard time walking away from trying to solve a problem. Not kidding. This was a play. I literally have my Maslow's hierarchy of needs up on my board right now because I am like, I lose sleep sometimes like thinking about my mind just keeps wandering about all these problems we have right now. And we have so much opportunity, right? So we have all the technology for us to connect right now and, and to discover different solutions. And so I list up on the board right now, I've got 20 things that are just like, how could we, how could we figure out to get more flowers in hands of people to make them smile? not just roses for Valentine's day. Sure. Just cheering people up. Um, and so it comes down to like balancing time for me, which is a really, really tough thing. It's a, it's a battle and it leads to mental health battles from time to time, to be honest. Yeah. 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 And and so with three kids and, and last year you were looking at the, which we can dig into a little bit, a little bit more. Um, but you were looking at doing the 20 and 20, I, I forget exactly what you called it, but you wanted to launch 20 businesses in 2020 and then 2020 reared its ugly head. And we saw what 2020 was. And, um, so, so yeah, I want to go into that a little bit, but three kids, obviously in 2020, you had at least 20 things that you wanted to do. Um, what is that? How, how, how do you juggle that? What does that look like? Right now it's, I'm, I'm getting better at creating the systems around me. And I think for me to juggle it all is impossible. And so, you know, I th- think about three different paradigms um, and where entrepreneurs often find themselves is wearing all the hats, even if it's for just one business or me, I just exponentially increase like the number of hats I have to wear. I have rooms for hat racks and that's it like the mindset of independence and it gets you into a lot of trouble. I can do it. I, I got this. I'm going to go accomplish this. 
it's different than the dependence mindset, which where another large cohort of people fall. It's like, you do this for me. It's the paradigm of you. You need to take care of me. You get this. This is the reliance on the big government and the big corporation. You make sure I have my paycheck in the month. It's a dangerous state too. And where I'm trying to shift towards, like I have a one page purpose and like what I want to accomplish in my life. And it's creating interdependence, which is the paradigm of we. And so how do I, because I want to do all these things, which takes so many hours, I could probably calculate on a spreadsheet if I had the time to put that spreadsheet together and taking my pieces of time, which I don't do the best and I can find somebody else that is good at applying their time and then finding us a way that we can work together with all of our different work habits, perspectives, backgrounds, you know, perceptions of the way things should be to get to the same end goal. It's really tough. And so in last year I had realized about the end of 2019 that how far the fibers, the upworks, the top towels had come in bringing on-demand talent. Some people call it freelancers, but there ain't nothing free about it. And from either side. Um, and if we fragmented the workforce to where you can go find a graphic designer for this, a web development person for this, a copywriter for this, we finally have an opportunity to think away from the full-time employment from a human resource side of the business to finding pieces of people's time and can we recombine those pieces of people's time in a way that creates a more low cost option to bring a solution to a problem that a customer has any kind of business, right? We all pretty much rely on the same back end things, front end things, and it's all relying on people's time that will fade away with AI in certain aspects. Right. But last year it was dipping into those markets. That was my goal is to test that out to see where that infrastructure was from a human resource standpoint. How expensive was it to go start a business, this type of business, that type of business, utilizing a team of different people. And could I get them to operate all in the same glorified spreadsheet that we might call Asana Monday or Basecamp mm-hmm. and like different mindsets work in different ways and in different patterns and they all have their different lives. And it became very expensive that was like the, one of the lessons I came out of last year was there's some very highly qualified people out there. Um, and for the right type of companies, they're a great solution. But if we're talking about micro enterprises where my mind focuses companies with 10 or less, very small, even if you're just starting for something bigger, but when you're starting small, you can't afford to find the wrong person at $75 an hour and, and drop 20 hours on their contract. And they may or may not come through with a full in mind vision of what you had. Um, so this year I'm actually shifting gears and looking at a younger cohort for a lot of those activities. I've got five interns from Xavier university <laughs> and they're working part-time for me and they're killing it because they're hungry mm-hmm. to like, go out and figure it out and add to their portfolio. They don't have portfolios. That's what they're looking for when I put the word internship out there right now. Right. And they are very resourceful and looking at the answers that, by the way, all knowledge work is documented on the web and they know how to find it. Anybody can find it, but they're really good at it. They've been training for it. And so I think one of the ways forward is um, really looking at, again, now from a generational standpoint, where our human resources lie across our communities and engaging them 
and not doing the whole millennial versus zennial boomer banger, whatever they call them. Don't worry about that. Worry about who can do what, bring what to the table. And if everybody's on the same line on the same path, you can accomplish a lot. Yeah. That's interesting. Cause you, you, we keep reading about stuff like this too, especially with this pandemic, how it's kind of probably accelerated this mindset to a degree with this, the pandemic I think is made a lot of people start to realize like you don't need to have everybody in the same town in the same building all the time to still be effective and get work done and accomplished. So I love this because now one, it, it expands your, your, uh, pool of potential help. Right. And you know, it's, it's different depending on the industry you're in too, I think, because I think for Jeff and I specifically, it sounds like you figured this out quickly is we've always been this way. Like, like if you need to design help, I don't give a shit where they're located. They could be anywhere in the world. As long as they have the capabilities to do what you need, it really doesn't, you don't need some, all you need is someone with the computer and the software to get the work done. And for, for me, it's always been great. And in fact, when, you know, we started a business, you know, years ago, like a small design collaborative agency here in Atlanta with a, an actual old boss and good friend of mine, you know, that's how we kind of approach the entire business model is rather than doing what these agencies do where they hire all of this help and you have all of this overhead for all these projects, you know, we can go undercut one of those agencies by 50%, I bet, because what we'll do is instead of having to carry all these employees, we just got and we'll build teams based on the knowledge they possess and or their background and experience. You know? So if we're in a fight like the financial, um, you know, we're doing work for a financial institution. Well, we can go get people that have actually done that numerous times. So they the ramp up time is substantially less because it's like, oh, you've worked in this industry. You kind of know the challenges that most of them have, which are all very similar to a degree. And now we can get moving in a week as opposed to three weeks while you're ramping up. It's great. I love this. Yeah. And I think where we're closely headed with this though, is the knowledge of of the AI is going to take over a lot of these things, Mm -hmm. right? Like it's not happening overnight, but I'm listening to a book right now. That'll scare you. Like it's the, it's the future is moving faster than you think. I can't remember the author's name and it, what Google and these big, the fangs are doing are, are going to bury fangs into the human resource lifeline. And, and so it's, we have the opportunity, I think, I, again, I always try to look at the opportunity in these things is be a step ahead of the tech and how do we engage with people and create those common bonds. Um, and yeah, you can find it. Agencies have been doing this for a long time. You know, film crews, like you didn't always keep the clapper on hand, right? The OG clapper mic comes in when you need them, but that's it. He's a fragment of his time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's awesome. (sighs) Jeff, what are you doing over there? I I see you, you look like you're Googling something. I feel like you're going to be dropping dropping some serious heat here in a minute. I'm Googling, I'm Googling stuff. Um, Um, yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to be dropping seriously. <laughs> so, so generally for you, then you get into these, these things. Have you, have you been with one for like years and years and years that you've always, it's kind of your baby that you've always kept close to the chest or, or is this more like you get in, you, you know, you put your polish on it and then you get out. I mean, what yeah, does that I, look I like? S- so as far as like engagement with specific companies, um, 
I've got my own little pet projects I've been working on for years in different iterations. Like, so I've created my business methodology that um, looks a little differently at how you plan for a business. And that's called Brock's way. And I'm, I'm bringing that back. And the idea is we're going to create a TurboTax like environment for business planning. One question at a time, making it super simple. Um, things we do a little bit differently. Instead of talking about marketing, you talk about awareness. You talk about it from the perspective of the customer mm-hmm. is human centered design. Customer doesn't get sold to, they evaluate whether it's the right thing to buy or not. And when they buy something, they should have fulfillment from that and create relationships out of that. So I've continually gone back to that where I fall into the trap is I start thinking through somebody else's problem and putting their business together. And I get asked to come help them out. And and can you come do this, do that? And, you know, build a Shopify site tonight and this and that. And I fall into those traps and I'm always looking to, again, to build out my portfolio of on-demand talent of people I can just lean on when those type of type of circumstances come up, that's where I want to get to. Um, but underlying all of this gets back to that search for interdependence and, you know, to take a story back to a younger, but just as good looking Jeffrey Jorgensen in Phoenix <laughs> built me out a site after the last recession called we are America's bailout. You remember that one, Jeffrey? I absolutely do. It was shovel ready infrastructure. So for those who don't remember is as the world fell apart from the mistakes of wall street, that the government was going to come into line and put shovel ready projects so we can build out our infrastructure and figuring out what bridges, roads and things we need to build next, which is great needed and fine. But what we also had was a bunch of small businesses, micro enterprises, entrepreneurs that were already to go and deploy economic activity already all set, but everything got pulled out from underneath them because wall street made a mistake. And so that didn't really catch on. It was, we are America's bailout. Like I was hoping people would chant that. We never got that. <laughs> Jeffrey did build a beautiful site for me though. It was my fault. It was basically <laughs> his fault. My, my digital manager, creative director. So, um, but the same thing's happening now, right? Walmart gets to stay open, but the small business doesn't. Yeah. And all this quarantine and we don't have to get into whether this thing's a thing or not. It gets into how the businesses in different parts of our economy are handled by the government, given certain permissions and certain access to capital that others are not. And so we got to fight from the bottom up. Yeah. And it's got to happen now. Cause if it doesn't, you better get that little smiley face Jersey, you know, the Amazon uniform, cause we're all going to be working for Amazon pretty soon. We don't do something. Yeah. So, yeah, actually, you know what? I think we should touch on this. So, I mean, you know, you, we're hearing a ton of talk around, you know, the different states and how they're handling COVID. You see states like California and New York, I think, being the two biggest ones that people love talking about what they're doing. I think a lot of their uh, lockdowns and stuff have se- seemed to be at least more extreme than others. And again, it's I, I think it's depending on what part of the country you're in. I mean, of course, in the Southeast where I'm at, you know, COVID is questionably even a real thing most days, you know, uh, you look at Florida, you know, they just don't give two shits about what's happening. Everything's open as business as usual down there. So, you know, my, my problem with all of this is, is why is it 
that is it just is it a piss poor management from our government that is now just passing off <clears throat> passing off these important decisions at the state level to make calls like this where you have people like these small businesses i can't imagine in new york and california where they are struggling but like here in atlanta small businesses are fine everything's open people are doing shit so like where is where, where does the fault lie and then what is the solution and again I, I realize we're asking very very difficult like complex problems here but i just would love your opinion on it like like I mean, again, you're looking at what is a government? It's an organization of people that are trying to solve problems. Unfortunately, they're usually the one causing the problem because they're not incentivized to perform the fulfillment and be rewarded by that by someone voluntarily giving their money. And like, I'm not anti-government, but I'm again, I'm pro putting people in the right organizational structures which changes from time to time. We, we're coming out of an era where there's these big companies and, and hopefully we're coming out of an era where there's big government, where, where I look at it from across any type of spectrum is, again, it comes down to empathy for the customer and knowing the customer and being close to the customer. And so if you've got this very tall hierarchy, you've got the decision maker sitting a long ways from that customer. Mm-hmm. And so how can they make that right decision for For not only that customer, but every different type of customer? So you've got to bring it down to the local levels. You're going to have some that succeed, some that fail. That happens everywhere. Some Mm -hmm. people succeed, some people fail. Um, and, And what we're seeing, I believe, from an economic standpoint, is in places where companies were allowed, businesses were allowed to stay open more so that they're able to survive more because people got to make their own adult choices on whether they wanted to go out in public and make a purchase or not. Mm-hmm. Correct. Correct. Yeah. I think, I think that was, I don't want to say clear, but, but semi-clear in your, your question, like you've got, you've got places with these extreme lockdowns and businesses are hemorrhaging capital and, and you got the barstool fund where if you look across the nation, most of the barstool fund is going to these big, urban areas or, or areas that have had these significant lockdowns. You've got the Atlantas that didn't lock down the Nebraska's that didn't lock down a lot of Denver for the most part is still fairly intact because we haven't been that strict polis. Governor Polis has been pretty solid. He's, he's had a couple questionable moves here and there, but overall I have, I have praised him in, in, in most conversations because he has done a pretty objective job of handling the the situation allowing businesses to continue to operate and and just be safe and we're going to ma- ma- we're going to do 25 50% capacity even though we're hospitals at orange and red because we understand that if we lock down mom and pop gone gone you know yeah. um so I, I yeah i think i think that's ultimately the the root of it um at least in my my opinion i'm not an economist by any means i don't know as much as paul um the incentivizing piece that you bring up is interesting because is it, is it, is it incentive or is it just, or is it the opposite of like, and what I mean by that is not only are they not incentivized, but their head is, they're looking at it a completely the opposite direction. They're, they're looking at it. If I can help this, if I can move the bottom dollar, if I can keep the stock market happy, if I can keep these large swaths of people and the kind of virtue signalers, excited about the proposed missions, then I am going to get reelected or I am going to get additional votes. And therefore I maintain 
some sort of hold versus actually going in and getting my hands dirty and getting in at the local level and trying to solve these problems at the granular fundamental root cause, um, whether I'm incentivized or not, because it's the right thing to do. Right. Well, and you're, you say something too, but like the thing is like, for example, like let's keep big business happy. Let's keep things moving. That props up the stock market. You know, there's all these, just, I, I constantly see articles around like, you know, why is the stock market today so incredibly inflated? Why does the stock market seem to like set these new records? It seems like weekly at this point, yet you look at like the very base economic like things that are happening right now, it's like, this doesn't, these things don't align. There's some mass like differences here. Problem is you look at if, if they're trying to profit the stock market, that's again, only bit of benefiting the upper class people that actually have totally. additional money to put in the stock market. What, and, and it's not solving the problem that I think Paul you're trying to solve is what about like those lower socioeconomic classes that they don't have any stock market. They don't give a fuck if the stock market's propped up. They don't give two shits. They're the ones taking the beating right now. And we know that. Right. And that's the, that's that root. I'm going to let you talk in a minute, Paul. <laughs> that's, that, that's that root fundamental cause, right? That's where it all stems from. Literally. Mm -hmm. Like you fix that issue. I mean, and you fix, you fix a lot of issues. You fix a lot of issues. Go. Right. Like, Go. Let's just look from a money flow standpoint. And if one, why is the stock market inflated? Because federal, the Fed printed a ton of money. Mm -hmm. And yes, it went to rich people and it went to some Robinhood investors too. Like there's plenty of cash that just all of a sudden made its way to Wall Street because what else are you going to do with it? Heck, the mom and pop down the street's not even open to go buy something. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to get on Robinhood and go invest it and go throw it at some GameStop. Or it's the, the big hedge funds that got all this money. And so if we think about the, there's three main the big three that siphon money from our local economies, it's wall street. And we're seeing that we can measure that mm -hmm. easily. It's DC. We can measure that easily to the tune of what, like 27 trillion now insane. Yeah. But there's also Silicon Valley, which is, I think you'll see in the headlines and some of the social popping up more and more as being not only the culprit of, you know, stealing our personal identity, which you hand over to them folks. So quit complaining, <laughs> but where DoorDash is giving you the just buy local, buy from your local restaurant, your mom and pop restaurant, let alone what you don't know. Cause you think you're just getting charged a $3 fee. That mom and pop restaurant got charged 30%. And therefore Grubhub, mm -hmm. DoorDash, all of these companies, these tech companies made out like bandits, Facebook, all of them, Amazon, they go down the line of people and their companies that are intervening in our normal commerce that can take place and has taken place at a local level for so long. And they're just siphoning out about 20 to 30%. And it's going into the hands of a few. And that right there is unsustainable. Yeah. The, you know, it reminds me that I've, there was a movie that came out on Netflix in 2019 called The Platform. Has anybody ever seen that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's that no. same idea. It's so the idea of this movie, Jeff, is there's like 200 plus floors. Right. And so the way it works is like at the very first level of the platform, they, what they do is they, they put like this, it's a major massive platform that like moves like an elevator. And then at the very, very top, whoever's in charge of this thing fills this platform with like the most extravagant foods, lobster and all of this stuff. And what happens is the platform starts there and then goes down to the first floor and it's like a timed deal. Let's say you get like one minute and everybody on the first level 
just goes ham on whatever. And as the thing goes down, there's less and less and less available. And usually by the time it gets to the thing, like all of the silverware, because everything's served in like this super fine China, but the people on the very, very bottom levels, they're like, there's, you know, scraps and like most of the lobster, like things, lobster shells like that. Yeah. And like most of the, like the silverware has been like licked clean. There's nothing left. And it's like kind of what's what's we're explaining here is it starts at the top and everybody takes off their their amounts and what they want. And by the time it gets down to the people that actually need it, there's nothing fucking left for them. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. And we 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 that's the problem with the big the, in in my opinion, the big government. Right. Because that's the way they attack every, every problem. Throw money at the three things that are. Optically making us look good. And don't ever go and try to solve the problem at it's 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 funny because we're sitting here talking about it. And in my head, all I'm thinking about is is Dr. Sarah Batchoffer that we had when she's talking about attacking the the fundamental root cause of many illnesses. Right. It's like, let's just throw medicine at it and continue to cover it up and continue to cover it up and continue to cover up or go and change your diet and start exercising and do things to take care of your body and see if your body just Right. heals itself it's like that idea of treating the, the symptom rather than resilient. the disease totally yeah. totally it's like with education you probably have a very good strong and, and good opinion on this um you know for, for years we've thrown money at schools inner city schools and things and, and tried to beef up the education system it's like no what you what you actually have to do is go in and try to figure out they, they figured out that when you actually segregate schools, they learn better because they're, they're, they're learning in different ways and they're learning in different capacities and they're, they're, they're not feeling quite as much competition and things like that. So going back to the, the, I, I forget it, maybe thirties, forties, whenever we had the actual desegregation of schools, right. Um, that's when you started to see a lot of African-Americans and, and, and underprivileged kids start slipping in schools because, um, they, God, I, I shouldn't even be talking about this because I don't remember the Are book. Are you promoting well as segregation? I, <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to detach my name from this podcast immediately. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not promoting <laughs> segregation, but I am saying that if you, so, so Thomas Sowell has a book called uh, Discrimination and Disparities, right? And people naturally self select, they self segregate naturally. That's just, that's just a, a, a thing people do. And there are statistical, uh, there's statistical evidence that when you put people of similar backgrounds, similar nationalities, similar races, similar colors, you end up getting better outcomes when it comes to equity, whether that's educational, whether that's financial, whether that's that's just that's just kind of the nature of things. Now, obviously, there is this homogenous society that we that we want and that we strive to have. And, and, and I wouldn't disagree with that. I would promote that over the segregation. But I'm saying that there are statistical there's statistical evidence and, and data that actually suggest the opposite um, and, and to a certain extent prove the opposite in many cases. Well, I would I would say that if you looked at that, you know, you're, what you're going to find is people that are of the same tribe work better together, mm -hmm. right? Because they totally. have the same cultural influences. But like, as you come into the education system, like some of the dates we're talking about, that also happen to have other racial implications of segregation and sure. desegregation. We're also of an era that we were coming through this industrial revolution and we created the assembly line for educating our children to tee them up for jobs in corporate America. 
Like, and it's what we needed to do to get ready. And thankfully we did because we can come out of world war two and, and, and be ready to deploy people and standardize systems that, you know, coming out of the model model T era of what Henry Ford created. Like we needed to have that. Like I'm, as I talk as much against that now, it was, it was appropriate at that time because that was the best technology and know-how of deploying people. But what that created as a derivative is this education system that is just going to educate to the standard, to the norm. And what you're left with is half the kids don't understand and the other half of the kids are bored. I don't actually think it has anything to do with the culture, race, or whatever you came in with. It just comes to it, what you're putting in front of these kids. And then the fact that it's not individualized to the kid, like you see in some of these new programs that are coming out, well, Montessori is really old, but there's all sorts of these individual programs that are engaging kids at their own level of capability. I mean, think about third grade readiness. And if you're prepping for that at first grade and in first grade, you're seven years old and the guy next to you is eight years old. He's one seventh of a year older than you are he's experienced life a lot more than you. It's mm-hmm. a way different aspect walking into these testing environments. We can't take this approach anymore. And I think what we're seeing right now is, you know what the teacher unions want to shut down the schools. You are probably going to find yourselves out of a job because I can figure out that YouTube can teach the fourth graders across the board and I'll hire a bunch of sub-level tutors. That's all going to change. It's got to change. We can't afford to keep it around anymore. Hmm. Yeah, I don't I don't know about YouTube being able to teach the teach the kids though. I I think I I think I disagree with that point. Um unless you put on demand Paul on it and, and solve it in a little bit better way. It's foundational ever it's like the foundational knowledge. Like we're we we're reading encyclopedias. Now you're like consuming media about history and sure. George Bat. You still need a human there. I'm not getting away from the human, but maybe the human doesn't need a four year degree and five other certifications and a union to back them up. To, to explain that to my kid. Okay. Yeah. That there, there's, there's some validity to that. Hmm. This is where I, I get a little scared because I'm going to dial one back again to zips. Beautiful evening. Sitting around a fire. On Here, the we patio. Here we go. Everybody just enjoying themselves. It was the perfect Chris night in, in Phoenix, Arizona. And there was that moment of silence. We're sitting across from each other and I'm as happy as I can be. And then Jeffrey just looks at me cocktail in hand. And then all of a sudden the cocktail was not in his hand. It was flung into my face <laughs> for no reason whatsoever. Why did we do this? Jeffrey, why did we throw the whiskey on my face? I, you know, Paul, um, there's, there's a couple of reasons. Okay. One comic relief, comic relief, right? It, it felt like, it felt like the right thing to do at the moment to, uh, to open the conversation back up Two, the comic relief was, was the decision that was made based on two, which is the, the, dislike for awkward, long, questionable silences. Okay. Um, and then, and then three, just my own personal insecurity, right? That's where it all stems from. If you want to kind of use the ODP to kind of get down to root 
fundamental cause. The symptom is the insecurity that bubbles up to awkward silence. Decision tree, go throw drink in the face. Why I chose you as opposed to anyone else sitting at the table. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I, I wish I remembered the conversation well enough to, to uh, be able to maybe, maybe attribute part of that to it. Um, but ultimately at the end of the day, the important thing to realize is that it was the wrong decision. <laughs> Wait, whoa, 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 whoa. So this is where we're going to have a debate because I actually was all with you because on point number one and two, it was the comic relief that that moment needed. Because if we remember back to what took place after that drink was thrown, I didn't budge. You didn't. I just <laughs> smiled because you were right. That's exactly what needed to happen in that moment. In that night, <laughs> out of nowhere, you throwing that drink on my face. Well, no, no, I dis <laughs> see. I disagree. I disagree. <laughs> The execution was was incorrect. The comic the comic relief was probably the right the right decision. Uh, how it manifested itself, I believe, was the 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 wrong decision. Nonetheless, I'm happy that I did it because if nothing else keeps Paul and I together uh, until we both die, hopefully at a very 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 old age, um, it will be the fact that every once in a while, I get a text message or comment that is, you remember that time you threw the drink in my face? And that sparks the conversation. And then we pick up where we left off. And and, and here we are. Um, so that's not actually what led to, to it this time. But it's brought up fairly frequently. It's the awkward silence now that I'm fearful of in your presence. <laughs> nope. And rightfully so. It should be brought up fairly frequently. Because was was Jeff silly. half in the bag or in the bag at this point? I was completely out of the bag. <laughs> because just knowing Jeff for as long as I have, usually there's not a lot of logic or processing prior decisions like this. I've seen it far too many times. <laughs> there's actually a lot of processing. It's <laughs> no, just usually not. it's just usually a very wrong decision right. that's made. Yeah. Right. That that's the manifestation part. It's like yeah, There's you're processing. just you step There's always in, processing. Yeah, you step into well, the dark always, side of your your psyche, and then you're like, I'm gonna process just in this environment, nothing in the positive. Right. And you're like, let's do yes. it. There right. is that other side. Yeah. Yeah, it's Dark Jeff. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a name, there's name for him. Yeah. There's a name oh, for him. Yeah. Dark Jeff. We don't see Dark Jeff as much as we used to. I'm not all dark that Jeff upset about come that. Out too much. No. Yeah. Dark Jeff doesn't come out too much anymore, thankfully. That's a good thing. Dark Jeff. Light Jeff got older. Yeah. Light Jeff was able to have some conversations with Dark Jeff. And but you put Life Jeff and Dark Jeff in different buildings. Yeah, I, I did what? You segregated them. I segregated them. It's good. It is good. It is good. It is good. Um, yeah, it is. It is good. Yep, I think um, I wish I, I wish God, I wish I remembered more about that, that uh, book that I read. I read it so long ago. Really is. A, if you have not read it, it's a very good book. Um, What's the name of the book? Discrimination and Disparities. Um, 
Yeah, a lot of just fascinating. Like the book opens up with 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 him talking about the disparities amongst even children growing up in the same household and how the first child is is by by far and away the the quote unquote successful one statistically, right? I mean, they're they're generalizations to a certain extent, but statistically, um, and that is 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 a product of the amount of communication and words on average i, I if i remember the number of words the first child hears about 9000 words a day from his parents the second child hears about 5 to 6000 and then the third child hears about 2 to 2500 so it's i mean it just cuts in half every every child that you go down um and yeah, the third child in a lot of cases is quote unquote the the forgotten child, right? So he 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 uses that to kind of start off the book, and then he starts to diverge, uh, yeah, diverge into race, into religion, into different areas where you can give anyone and everyone the exact same situation, and and uh, upfront. Up the, the 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 things to do whatever they're going to do with upfront and you're going to have vastly different outcomes because that's just not the way everyone is and uh, and yeah but you know how much of that goes back to that household upbringing I mean there's also a lot lots of good literature on that of the, the likelihood that you know children find themselves men find themselves in jail or imprisoned coming out of a household that didn't have a father present totally totally that's like the number one indicator. Totally. Like it's so much of it comes back to the household. I mean, I, I treat my three kids differently for sure. For sure. Too, like the first one protect from all germs that might enter the premises. The second one, you're like, yeah, the kid's going to get sick. The third one, you're like, Hey, go lick that light pole. <laughs> Cause we got to go on vacation in two months. I really get sick now. Yeah. And yeah, I'm going to put this on is, Instagram. <laughs> there, There is a lot of that, but there's also a lot of, uh, I mean, there's a lot of evidence that, that, it's the nature versus nurture argument, right? I mean, there there are the twin studies that were done throughout the 70s, 60s, 70s, 80s, right? Where they're taking twins out of households and putting them into completely different households and and triplets and, and things like that. And they're growing up and and having a lot of similarities and in other areas they're they're not, right? So they're but but the similarities that are there are 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 more common than than not right and and they're weird 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 similarities not like just just uh they're obviously not intellectual or 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 they're they're similarities that you wouldn't think of them ever picking up and having if they didn't grow up in the same environment yet they're doing the exact same things and and have the same characteristics and things um so, so yeah I don't, I don't i don't know what the answer is i haven't i haven't studied it at all really. Um, but I mean, perhaps the answer is we, we all conclude that everybody's different and everybody has different capabilities that we're not machines. And if we can remove as many barriers as possible, we're going to have more ability for people to go up more ability to have economic freedom, um, which is a means to an end of like self-fulfillment. Right. It, it, but like there's too many stresses in people's lives right now and more so than ever at all rungs. Again, going back to the hierarchy of needs from a physiological standpoint, food, water, shelter, you start stepping up into safety. People are feeling less safe. And then you got belonging, the loving, and the, you start getting up to that middle mental side with the social networks 
where everybody's showing how awesome they are, how great their life is, including the piece of pizza they just ate. But we miss like that top of the pyramid, that self-actualization, which is really hard to get to. But we have to remove the barriers down lower. Um, and the society I think we live in, you know, going back to the thing that I'm always harping on is the economic barriers that we've set in place with the structure of our government that it makes more sense to be on the entitlement programs. If you can't get to let's call it 60 K there's that gap between like entitlement and 60,000 a year that like is just the no man's land. And it creates this like spiraling down a local economy that just feeds negatively upon itself because people stop producing goods and they become dependent. Or they become influencers or they, or they can just become influencers. Yeah. I mean, that's always a path. If you're just struggling, really can't find your place in the world, just put on a hoe outfit, start taking some pictures. You'll be making more money than you'll know what to do with. But if you do like, make sure you take the right online course from that other influencer that told you. Yeah. Jeff can hook you up with a influencer training program. That's necessary. <laughs> that's necessary. The, the click funnel through to success. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, okay. So in that vein, what is your, I have a feeling I know, but talk to me about your feelings on minimum wage, because that's another one of those, those forced. And now that I say forced, you know, I, I think that's kind of that, that was maybe souls. One of souls high points was the, was the forced desegregation, right? Like people do self-select, but when you force them into groups, that's when you start to see downsides anyway, um, or can see downsides, the forced minimum wage, right. And, and, and perhaps even like federal minimum wage, right. Right. Um, what are your feelings on that? Where do you stand? How do you feel that? How do you feel that boosts people's productivity, people, the economy, et cetera? Oh, I, I think it's a detriment to the economy, most likely. Most likely because there's the unintended consequences that come with any top-down decision like that. I totally oppose minimum wage of any level because it's not for this government body that doesn't live in my neighborhood to tell me what I should be able to pay my um, human resources to come work for me. Or what with I the, have to pay. Or what I have to pay. With that said, everybody working for me makes at least $15 an hour. I've set my minimum because I understand what it takes for them to live. That's my choice. It's also like, Hey, if I can't pay you that much, maybe you should go be an Amazon driver because they are paying that. So the market's setting the wage for that. Um, you know, I'm even looking at models to where I pay people that until they can eventually pay me back and own their company. It's a work to own type model. It's let me go play around with that. But from you to tell me that, or any business for that matter, this is what you're going to pay for labor. What is it doing? The unintended consequences, it's hurting the supply of labor. It's you got a guy that now can't get a job because that business isn't open and he would have been fine working eight, $8 an hour because his wife's working too. And they make enough money to pay for their food and water and shelter. What do you think it does to the, do you feel like it has impacted minimum wage and, and the federal kind of set minimum wage? Um, do you feel like it has had a big hand in 
the socioeconomic issues of the U.S. The the the, the gross disparity between that entitlement class and the sixty thousand dollar class. I, I think it's played a very heavy part in that. Yeah, absolutely. Because again, it it restricts opportunity to create income. And when, especially, you know, as we're talking about fragmentation of workforces here, but still there's a lot of businesses and even more so before where you had to have full-time employees. And so I can tell you from a spreadsheet standpoint, like it's a really high barrier to own a company, run a company and manage cash flow when you've got full-time employees and you're not exactly sure when that next customer's walking in the door. And so if my cost of having those people around full time is twice as much of what they'd be even willing to take. And it puts me out of the opportunity of even running that business. I never start it. And then what happens in my neighborhood is nobody starts those businesses. The real estate comes desolate. And again, we just fall into this downward spiral of impoverishment because we put too many barriers in front of, you know, let's call it the free hand doing this thing, but people really, what it is, it's people figuring it out. People are resourceful. They'll take what they can and make something of it. But if you tell them they can only use certain things or you have to have a license to cut hair, sorry guys. Um, But like, that's the thing. Like I have to have (laughs) the other adult has to have a license to cut my hair. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Putting barriers in the way. How about from the individual, like, like you're looking at it from the business owner's perspective, which I think that's, that's spot on. What about from the individual level? Like I've heard the, I've heard the, the argument. Um, I think the gentleman, I I don't remember who the gentleman is, but I think he used the, the, the mid nineties example of when telemarketers were phased out because we raised the minimum wage from what was it when I was growing up 350 or 525 something like that to 750 and now all of these companies went I'm not paying my telemarketers 750 to I think it's 740 is the minimum wage in the United States yeah I think today I believe so yeah it okay, hasn't changed so, so we haven't the, updated our minimum wage in like what is it like 20 plus years right okay yeah. well, so the so the whatever the jump was 3 to 5 um it was now too much for a lot of these corporations and businesses to pay telemarketers. And so they started outsourcing telemarketing. They started utilizing computers and the press one and press two. Right. And he attributes the fall of general customer service in the United States of America to the minimum wage hike, because you've now put people in a position where they used to go to McDonald's and start working and they were making two fifty an hour and they wanted to get bumped up to managerial status. So they were making $5 an hour, right? You've now taken that drive and that agency out of that person because you've given them $5 an hour from the get go. And what is the reason to get to a manager? Because you're not paying the manager anymore now because the wage is so high, right? And then you take into the fact of what Mike just said, you don't update minimum wage for 25 years. It's been, and sorry, so, I was wrong, by the way. It's $7.25 the minimum wage, and we have not updated it in um, 12 years. Okay, 12 years. Yeah. And so these, these people go X amount of years at this wage, able to get by to a certain extent for a little while, and then inflation happens, and now it's no longer aligned with anything, and thus they are, however many years it's been, behind the curve in terms of 
skill set, in terms of drive, in terms of wanting to do anything else. And they've just been in this holding pattern back flipping burgers. Right. And so, um, you know, the obnoxious answer is just hashtag learn to code. Right. Obnoxious. Just obnoxious. (laughs) Shut up. Hashtag learn to code. Those idiots. You would Um, get deplatformed. Hashtag. We just got canceled. Yeah, they, they were canceling that, right? Um, I mean, because it's the same thing, no matter where you, truckers are going to get phased out by Musk and all this technology is going to start taking over by graphic designers. I can go find some great graphic designers at a much cheaper rate overseas. I work with people in Bangladesh, Pakistan all the time, Romania, you, you name it. And so should we be adjusting minimum wage here on our big island just so we can protect people's perception that there's income security. I think it's a, it's a horrible move because now, right. yeah, you, you've de-incentivized them to do something different. Potentially it's learning to cope. Potentially it's learning to take care of a hospice patient and learning to be a home health worker because we could use more of those. Um, and so, yeah, the unintended consequences of, of those big sweeping movements are, are felt and, and seen in the larger the population, the more so you see it. So on the other side of this argument though, is, so let's just say we, 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 we just stay the course at 725 an hour and you have basically your, your, your labor workers, people that are probably doing the jobs that earn that hourly rate. Isn't it cyclical though? It keeps them in the position because most of these people probably are making a lot of assumptions here. I don't mean to offend anyone, but more than likely, probably not educated. They, you know, maybe have a high school diploma for them to pull themselves out of that lower, like economic class is nearly impossible at seven twenty five an hour. And, and again, yes, you might increase or whatever, and you might over, you know, five years, you're now you're up at $10 an hour or whatever, but it, the challenge I see is it's, it's a very, it's a double-edged sword because if we raise it, you know, like the, the congressional budget office just released numbers earlier this week. I'm sure you guys saw this, but it's like, if you do that, you're going to bring, I think the, in fact, I have the, hold on, let me, I actually have an email with all this information just a few days ago. Um, yeah. So you're going to lift 900,000 people out of poverty and boost pay for up to 27 million workers in this country. So we, we were actually Hypothet- hypothetical. Uh, well, yeah, that's the, that's the, yeah, the congressional budget office, the numbers Big they ran. hypothetical. Yeah. Yeah. They also told us 2 million people were going to die. And they also told us right. the opposite numbers when we we're going to do something else right. with the economy. So, yeah, back to the education thing during Obama's years, he threw more money at educational systems throughout inner cities in, 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 in any president's history and didn't but, move the needle at all. Well, right. But, but look at how that's controlled and operated. We just talked about this a little bit ago. You, you're asking, you're, you're saying, I'm going to put together this governmental program that is going to help inner city kids. Same thing we know about like these nonprofits that say they're taking money to like starving kids in Haiti. How much of your $1 ends up serving and benefiting those children? It's 10 cents. Because again, everybody has to skim off their top and all their bullshit. It's the same thing that if we, and I think this is what Paul's saying, is that you leave a government in charge of 
executing these programs. And by the time they fucking paid off everybody and everybody else, they're coming in and trying to get their, their little like chunk of it. There's, it, there's nothing left. I think that's why what Paul's doing is great because you're having someone at that, like in that, the community level coming in and be like, let me help solve the problem, get big government out of it and all their bullshit and paperwork and red tape. We're actually going to benefit these people by what we're doing. Now, this is a little off top of what I was saying, which if we don't increase it, you know, and we continue this, like, doesn't that actually can it's like an anchor we're carrying. Like if we can't let these people get out of the positions they're in, we're the ones that get stuck paying for that. Like w whether or not it's the, the small businesses. And again, I'm not saying that I have necessarily opinion. I don't actually know, but if it's, I, I realize it puts an undue amount of pressure on small businesses to be like, okay, now I've got to figure out a way to pay all of these employees $15 an hour. But at the same time, like, it's those business owners who are actually hopefully making an income that are then having to pay more money into all of these governmental programs that are, that we're ending up paying them money anyway, because they can't afford food. So they're on food stamps or they're, you know, they have three children that they can barely afford. And so now we're paying for their health care and everything else. I mean, one way or other, we're all paying for it, regardless of how we do it. Right. Like it's all coming out of our checkbook somewhere. Maybe we're just not seeing it at the, the small business people paying that money in, you know, out to necessarily an employee for the work they're doing. Instead, we're just being taxed at a higher rate so we can, you know, fund these government programs that then end up paying those people somehow anyway. Right. I agree. There's at any given time, there's a finite amount of resources and how we push them across between each other. You know, that's what we're talking about here in discussing whether we should or should not raise a minimum wage is talking about a dependency lever that like is just going to lock people in the same mindset of dependency. You make sure I have enough to take care of me. You do this. You know, if, if you want to circumvent that, if you're really worried about giving people enough economic resources, do universal basic income. You can do UBI, but here, here's what's going to happen. All your, your milks, orange soda, and everything else, and cigarettes are just going to increase mm -hmm. in price because that's the way economics work. And you'll do nothing to the standard of living because you're not addressing the root causes. The root causes, people don't have ownership over their the income of their lives. And I believe that even you take somebody that wasn't pushed through the industrialized high school system without a diploma, give me the hustler, dude, go, you know totally. what I want my, my sales staff to be? Every kid that got arrested on a street corner is selling dope. Right. Because they were hustling Hustlers, and pushing right. products. And those are the type of yep. people I want around pushing my software product. Yep. People that make their way, no, regardless yeah. if it's illegal or not. And I think that's, that's, that's that agency piece, right? It's, it's the, it, it's the old adage, teach a man to fish. Like it's plain and simple. Right. And it, I think a lot of people already know how to fish. Like, again, like you just, what needs to be taken away is the restrictions. And we hear about the regulations at the environmental level. And so they always start getting fighting over the earth. You know, George Carlin said it best. The earth is going to be, be fine. The people are fucked. Right. <laughs> like, like, that's where it goes. But what we have actually is, is these very passive regulations that are in front of people being able to create their own economic independence in their own neighborhoods by serving their neighbors. And while they sit on the wayside waiting for minimum wage to rise, the next CVS is just going to pop up and be the, the, the lever for that minimum wage to flow through. Or you can have Gertrude's shop. 
Gertrude's shop is going to have every product she, Gertrude knows that that neighborhood wants. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's beautiful. Um, I say we end it there. Small businesses. Uh, s- super. Yeah. Well, I don't know. I'm not going to say anything because I think that was just so beautifully put. Gertrude. Gertrude. Um, Paul. Tell, uh, tell, tell people where they can find you, tell people about anything exciting that you want to tell them about. Um, and then, yeah, I wish I could give you all a hug and high five and throw a drink in Paul's face before we, uh, <laughs> before we break here. I've got this drink waiting over here. Just to throw it down face for visual effect. No, I, I, uh, I appreciate it. Um, I'm at, at on demand Paul across all the different socials. Um, that get updated from time to time. And that's how I influence. Um, we do have season two of the ODP podcast coming out soon. It's uh, if you listen back last year, again, it was interviewing a lot of entrepreneurs, freelancers, telling some heartfelt stories about how cancer impacted people's lives and their work this year, this season, we're dialing down to the college level, hired myself a bunch of Xavier Musketeers and we're stepping out into the Cincinnati community and really rethinking how we can have consumers engage the local economy. And we want to share all because it can happen in your own community. So tune in. Awesome. Very cool, man. You're doing God's uh, work out there, even though God doesn't exist. For sure. For sure. (laughs) We want to have you back on here because there were some things I didn't get to uh, touch upon, like, like the Movember thing. That's one of my favorite ODP podcasts. Um, And I still, I still want to know more about how you got involved with that because that's been one of those things where, where, yeah, I know you've been doing it for a long time and I have no idea how, how any of it came about. So uh, also a really, really good cause. So give him a, give him a listen, Uh, go follow him, go find him, get to know him. Phenomenal person. Paul Rudolph, thank you very much. Thank you, Paul. Mike. Thanks for having me on, gentlemen. Awesome, man. Love you guys. Take care. Love you. And that's a wrap, ladies and gentlemen, for this week's episode. Hope you guys enjoyed. Please don't forget to download and subscribe to Inexpert Opinions in your favorite podcast app. And uh, be doing us a huge favor if you gave us a five-star rating. That helps us grow. Growing's good. Everything needs to grow, including Inexpert Opinions. We're trying to blow this thing up, y'all. So, uh, yeah, rate us. We love you. Thanks again for listening. Bye-bye. Shut up and sit down.